You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. With that, uh, I just want to um, stop then and pray before we dive into Luke chapter 22. Um, So if you would, bow your heads with me, please. Lord God, thank you. Uh, Thank you again for all that you are for us and all that you have done and are doing and will continue to do for us. Lord, thank you for the provision in our church family of um, just the various gospel communities that meet throughout the week, relationships that are being built, life that is being shared together, um, struggles and wins and ups and downs that are being shared where people are not just walking alone anymore. So thank you for um, just solidifying that growth. And we just ask, Lord God, that you would continue to uh, help us as we engage in community throughout the week. God, I pray that you would help us to discover you in your word and to discover what it is that you want for each of us. And I pray, God, that you would continue to um, Cultivate health in each of us individually uh, so that that health would just bear fruit um, in our midst so that at the end of the day you would be glorified, but so that also uh, the community around us, people that we encounter throughout the week, uh, would begin to see the evidence and the work of your spirit at work in us. So God, I pray that you would do those things and I thank you for the work that you've already done. Um, And I just also thank you, uh, Lord God, for the many people that are part of our church family that help to serve and help to give and and just sacrifice of their lives so that others might come to know you and grow in you. And then lastly, Lord God, I thank you for your word and the privilege and the opportunity that it is to come and to open your word together and to hear your word preached. And so, God, I pray uh, that you would... Open our hearts now by your spirit to understand the message that Luke writes to us in this gospel. And I pray, Lord God, that you would purify my thoughts and my heart and my words as I begin to preach. And I pray, God, that you would help my words to do good for us as we are gathered here. And I pray, God, that you would use my words to um, bring glory and honor to you. I recognize that I could not do that on my own. And none of us, as we gather here, can muster up the... um, an ounce of energy to either A, understand, or B, be motivated by um, your word. And so God, I pray that you would do that work in us, and I trust that you will do it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen, amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 38. Before we look at that text this morning, what I want to do is just kind of invite you to think about something for a minute, to kind of set the course and the direction of kind of where we're headed. I want you to think about the dangerous roads of life. Think about the dangerous roads of life that you have journeyed down or are currently journeying down or are maybe preparing to journey down in the future. Life is full of dangerous roads. That is true. Life is full of dangerous roads. Friendship is dangerous. Think about friendship, pursuing relationship with other people. Marriage is a dangerous road. Dating is a dangerous road. Uh, Even singleness is a dangerous road if you think about that. 
There are many dangerous roads in this life that we travel down. Purchasing a new car is a dangerous road to, um, to travel as well. Pursuing a career, that's a dangerous road, right? Think of all the different potholes on these various roads of life that we all travel down, and they're, they're dangerous. Every road we could possibly travel on throughout our life is going to be chock full of danger. And really, it's the same way with the Christian life. That's the reality. That's the truth. The Christian life is full of dangerous roads that we will travel. I think a lot of people begin to think that the Christian life is all about safety. That the Christian life should be safe. But the, real, the reality about the Christian life, the reality about following Christ is that it's not safe to follow Jesus. Even C.S. Lewis, uh, in his classic Narnia novels, said this. He said that God is good, but He certainly isn't safe. He certainly isn't safe. Like this is really the, the heart of what Jesus is going to say to Peter and his disciples in the passage that we're about to study today. Like following Jesus is good and right and true, for sure. And in the end, the message of the Bible is that there is salvation and safety for everyone who follows Jesus. But following Him is not a safe journey. It's actually a journey towards safety. The destination that we're headed to is safe, but the journey of following Jesus is full of dangerous roads. Look at Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 38. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, Nothing. And he said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, look, Lord. Here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. <clears throat> what an interesting passage, right? <clears throat> A lot of interesting things happening in this story. And the big idea that, that I think I would like to propose and have already tried to get out in front of you is that following Jesus is full of dangerous roads. Just think for a minute about the dangerous road of 
uh, just wrestling with sin and demonic attack or satanic attack. Just think about the danger of wrestling with that for a minute. Quietly around your table. The road of wrestling with your sin or satanic attack. And in fact, let's do this. Let's change it up. If you're sitting alone at a table, get up from your table and go find a different table to sit at. If you're sitting in the back row around chair, in chairs, that's fine. Go ahead and turn around and get to the person next to you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take two minutes and I want you to discuss what it's been like for you, how dangerous it's been for you to travel that road of wrestling with sin and demonic attack. Ready, set, go. Okay. All right, so from each table, just somebody gets to be the speaker and you get to talk back to me. Um, something that you guys talked about around your table and just keep it as brief and short as you possibly can, but let's get each table. There's only two of you there. So rock, paper, scissors, ready, get set, go. She's shaking her head at me. Huh? Okay, all right, we'll come back to you. We'll come back to you. Uh, Andrew's table. Grudges and approval. Grudges and approval, something you struggle with from a sin standpoint, which we know is just Satan's attack, right? Good, good job, good job, nice. Um, back there, Brian, you had a couple of kids around you, right, that you were kind of talking to? We didn't really discuss much. Didn't really discuss much, all right. <laughs> Alyssa, you kind of had a group there, so. Distractions. <coughs> Distractions, yeah. Isn't that what Satan likes to do is distract us from where God wants us to head, right? Good, good. Uh, front table here. Any of you three, either one wants to speak up first. Go ahead. Being stuck in your faith and backtracking the way you shouldn't go in the first place. Yeah, being just stuck, like wheels spinning, and not even just spinning, but almost like sliding backwards, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Eric's table, how about you guys? Um, you know, get, go ahead. stuck in a sin and, and just that sense of failure that's there with that. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, just getting stuck, right? Again, wheels kind of spinning, stuck in the mud. Need to turn the four-wheel drive on and get out somehow. And get, yeah, just that kind of sense of failure and, and uh, the need to remind ourselves and, you know. Kind of that sense of despair and need to be encouraged. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, we've got three teenagers back there in the back row. Which one of you is going to talk? Um. <laughs> Good job, Haley. <laughs> no, no, clap yet. We didn't talk. <laughs> well, you talked, so that's awesome. Good job. Um, Andrea, Brandon, you guys at this table back there? Self-doubt. Seth, self-doubt. Yeah, self-doubt. Anybody else, anybody else struggle with self-doubt? Me, 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 me. Every day, right? Anybody like every day? Yeah, that's. I cut you off, Seth. I'm sorry. I was just saying, you know, little little whispers that say you can't do this. Yeah. Just stuff that makes you doubt and gives you gout. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Did you say doubt that gives you gout? I did. That was. That was. That was. Hilarious. You are. You are hilarious. Um, Faith, your table. Did you guys talk about anything there, Grace? Yeah. yeah, yeah, nice. Good, good, good. Pride, thinking you're better than other people. That's easy. 
to, to get into, right? Like my eyebrows are plucked better than other people. <laughs> oh no, we don't go there. We don't go there. <laughs> okay, I'm coming all the way back to uh, Stephen Bryce. Loss of self. What's that? Losing yourself. Losing yourself, huh? Yeah, almost like, yeah, I get you. I get you. Kind of forgetting about what's, yeah, kind of forgetting about who you are, right? Identity would probably flow out of that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, I wanted to do that just to kind of uh, shake things up just a little bit. Um, but I also just want to say, like, as we move forward, we're going to talk about uh, five different uh, dangerous roads that, um, that we wind up um, traveling down. And road number one is this road, this dangerous road of uh, satanic attack. In our culture today, satanic attack or satanic or demonic things is uh, often celebrated. Celebrated or it's glamorized oftentimes by um, horror movies. I know some of the girls in my home last night were talking about watching scary movies. Um, a lot of times glamorized um, by horror movies, scary movies, dime store novels. Um, that basically seek to tap into our sense of maybe curiosity, um, grab our attention. Um, I mean, I, I think that the horror film genre has grown astronomically in just the last few years. I also think that while it's true that some people, I think, have kind of an overactive, maybe imagination in, in regards to like satanic or demonic um, activity, um, I think there's others who just dismiss the power of Satan all too quickly. There's some people who kind of land on one side where they're like, the devil made me do it, which is kind of a mentality that um, seeks to place the blame on somebody else who's actually invisible at that point, right? Um, or maybe to remove guilt for our sin. devil made me do it. I don't have to be accountable for that. Um, well, I think other people wind up cowering in fear um, because maybe they misunderstand the power of God over Satan. But for some people, the mere mention of satanic attack or demonic activity um, can kind of conjure up silly images of like the Wicked Witch of the West. hope I have that. It's the Wicked Witch of the West, right? For some reason, the word north went through my head. I know it couldn't be the north. That doesn't make sense. It's the, it's the good witch of the north. It's the good witch of the north and the wicked witch of the west, right? So for some of us, when we think about this category of Satan's attack or demonic activity in the world or possibly in our lives, we kind of begin to think of it in a fairy tale sort of a way, like the wicked witch of the west, and we, um, and we, we don't... We don't maybe give enough credence to the truth that Satan is alive and well and is doing damaging and destructive work in the world around us and in our lives at times. And still, still then, I think there's others um, who, uh, who have actually experienced um, hardship, suffering, difficulty, satanic attack, demonic activity in their lives where, um, where people's lives were destroyed, where families were ripped apart. I mean, you, you think about the rate of divorce and the rate of broken families in our culture today. Isn't this a work of Satan who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy? Isn't that a work of Satan in the community around us? So there have been many of us who have experienced um, 
the work of Satan in our world in destructive and harmful and very scary ways. Regardless of where you land on this journey, regardless of where you're at in your opinions or experience of Satan and his very real activity and uh, attack, my prayer for us today as we talk about this topic alone is that you would come out of this with a real healthy understanding of what it looks like to be on this dangerous road while at the same time being turned towards the cross of Christ. You look back at the text for a minute. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. Doesn't that sound dangerous? That Satan could come to Jesus and demand to have you to sift you like wheat. That's a, you think about the, the seriousness of what Jesus is saying to Peter and his disciples here. This really should elicit a little bit of a sense of fear in us. That Satan could actually do that. Reminds me of, for some of you that are familiar with the Old Testament, the book of Job. Satan comes to God and he says, Hey, I hear Job is a really righteous guy. But you give him to me. I'll take care of him. I'll test him. I'll bring things into his life of such a horrible proportion that he will wind up cursing you, God. I encourage you to read the book of Job. It's interesting. Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples in this passage, says to Peter, and not just to Peter, but also the disciples, the the Greek language you in the beginning of this text is referring to kind of a more of a plural. Satan demanded to have you. Not just you, Peter, but all of you. Satan demanded to have all of you that he might sift you like wheat. These are the closest guys to Jesus. Think about the proximity of relationship between these disciples and Jesus. And Satan has no problems walking into that close proximity to Jesus to demand, not ask, but to demand that he have you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Satan came to me. You're in relationship with me. Satan came to me and demanded to have you, to own you. And these were the guys that were walking very closely to Jesus. An up-close, intimate contact, daily access to Jesus. How scary is it for you to think for a minute about the fact that these guys who were the closest to Jesus during His time here on earth were in danger of this level of satanic attack? I ask the question, where are you at on your journey with Christ? Where are you at on your journey with Christ? If you now know that Satan can actually come into the presence of Jesus and demand to own you, to sift you like wheat, that should beg the question of, man, where am I at on this journey of following Jesus, knowing that this can happen and has happened? Notice, too, the language. Just look at the language for a minute that Jesus uses to describe just the level of seriousness in this. When he talks to Peter, he uses Peter's uh, earthly given name, Simon. 
Says it twice. Simon, Simon, to get his attention. I think there's a, a connection here um, to, to Simon Peter's um, frailty. When Jesus began to call Simon Peter, uh, Peter meaning the rock, if you look up the word Simon, there's some frailty to that human name, whereas Peter is a divine given name by Jesus himself. He doesn't refer to him as Peter, he refers to him as Simon. Now I think there's a point in this when Jesus addresses them this way, and what he wants to do is he, I think he wants to draw out the fact that, Peter, you are human. Now, your name is the rock, but there's something that's getting ready to come against you of a, of a terrifying nature. It's, it's dangerous. It's a road you're walking down that is dangerous, and you need to pay attention to how frail you are in the midst of this. The strongest dude, the strongest dude in Jesus' circle of disciples here on earth, Peter, the strongest dude in his circle, was in danger of satanic attack that could destroy his life. When Satan came to Jesus, what Satan was doing was demanding. You think about this picture of Satan demanding. Ever see a little kid demand that they get something right now? Right? Anybody ever see that? How about you? Have you ever demanded to have something? I demand that this change now! Any of you ever do that? Just expect it to happen because you said it? Satan comes to Jesus and demands, doesn't ask, he demands that God bow down to him and give him what he is demanding. And what he's demanding is to own the disciples that Jesus actually owns. He, he demanded possession of the very people who were walking and talking with Jesus on a daily basis. Why? I alluded to it earlier. Jesus says it in the text. The reason that Satan demanded to own the disciples is so that he might sift them like wheat. What, is, what does this picture mean? What, is, what does that mean for us? The ancient picture of a farmer sifting wheat is that the, the farmer, the sower, who was going to sow the seed into the field would carry the bag of wheat which typically was mixed with a bunch of wheat dust, which I think they call chaff. Um, and he would put his hand in the bag. And then he would take it out and he would throw it up in the air. Right? And what would get blown away? What would get blown away was the really light dust that was in it. The seeds would fall back to the ground and produce a fruitful harvest. You think about the work of Jesus in each of our lives that is through the power of His Spirit and the Gospel, His intentions are to grow healthy disciples, Gospel-centered families and communities and individuals who produce the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? Fruitfulness, fruit of the Gospel continuing to produce. And not just in your life individually, but in your life too, through each other. 
This is what Jesus is attempting to do with the disciples. And Satan wants to come and toss those seeds, you, up in the air to watch you get blown away. He wants to destroy your life. That's what Satan is demanding to do with Peter. It's to toss him up in the air and watch his life get blown away. It's the same thing that Satan demands for you. I don't know how often. But I think it's often. Probably more often than we understand. And the dangerous road of satanic attack is designed for Satan to possess you and own you so that he can attempt to blow your life away. This is what Satan wants more than anything. <clears throat> Ask yourself, where are you on this road? Where are you on this road and where are you headed? When Satan comes to sift you like wheat... When Satan shows up demanding to own you like a slave. When you're sitting in front of your computer screen late at night. When that attractive person walks by. When you're tempted to respond in anger or rage. When the opportunity comes to spend money on things that you do not need. When you begin thinking about throwing a pity party for yourself. When you feel the pressure to deny Christ with your words, or your actions, or your thoughts. When you want to gossip about other people. When you realize that you are on this dangerous road, regardless of whether you wanted to be or not, ask this question. Where do you think Jesus is in those moments? Where do you think He is? It's so easy for us to think that in the midst of hardship, suffering, wrestling with sin, wrestling with demonic activity in our world and in our lives, so easy to think that Jesus is somehow removed from that. Somehow He is alone ways away from us. Where do you think He is in those moments? And for the believer... For the believer, Jesus is interceding and praying on your behalf. That's where he's at. He's praying for you. This brings us into road number two. Road number two is the dangerous road of failing faith. And I like to say this, for the believer, the dangerous roads of satanic attack on one hand and failing faith on the other hand, they both meet at the same place. Satanic attack and failing faith meet at the same place. They meet at the intersection of Christ's intercession. When Satan is attacking you and when you feel like your faith is about to fail, those two roads meet at one place. And that's Jesus on his knees praying on your behalf. That's where Jesus is at when you begin to face those Luke tells us that after Jesus outlines the treacherous road of satanic attack, he then looks at Peter and he says, But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Think about this for a minute. Jesus has just warned Peter and the other disciples about the satanic attack that is coming down the road, right? 
And we know what's coming. You and I know what's coming because we've read it. We've seen it already. But Peter and the disciples standing in that room, put yourself in their place. They have no clue of what's going to about to happen. They don't know that Jesus is going to die on the cross. They don't know that Peter's going to deny Christ three times. He hasn't even said that yet. He hasn't even said it yet. They have no clue. Right? Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus sees everything that's getting ready to come into your life. Jesus has seen every season that you would walk through. He knows everything about you. And not just everything you will experience, but He knows every hair on your head. Every thought that goes through your mind. Every desire that you have deep down, down inside of you. Every want that you could ever want. He knows you intimately and He knows everything that is going to come into your path. You go back to Romans chapter 8, I think. There's a passage which says, All things... Somebody quote it for me. All things that... Here, my summary is this. All things that you would experience happen in your life for the glory of God and the good of the believer. All things. And Not just... Know, go ahead. I'm sorry. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. For those who were called according to His purpose. Do you know how hard it is to stand in a in a room where a couple has just lost their child and say, I love you and I don't know your pain, but I know that God is bigger than this. Some of you know that pain, right? How hard it may be to sit with a friend who has been facing um, just a continuous onslaught and temptation of sin has continued to give into it yet once again and the despair that is felt there. And the need in that moment to be able to say, don't let your faith fail. Jesus is here praying for you. Jesus knew that when satanic attack came into the lives of his disciples, that they would be in danger of failing in their faith. He knew that. But think about it. When does your faith fail the most? When are you in danger the most of your faith failing you? Don't you struggle the most to trust in God in your deepest and darkest moments of satanic onslaught? When you struggle with that old sin? When you lose your mind? When the, when the train falls off the tracks? When things don't go the way they should? When someone sins against you, when, when, when your loved one turns away from Christ? Aren't these some of the most dangerous curves on the road that you and I travel? Like Rest assured, rest assured, Jesus sees everything that is headed your way. And Jesus' prayer for Peter in this passage, and I believe the way that he prays for you and I, was that his faith would not fail, and that his faith would stand the test of time, and that as it did stand the test of time, 
that the other disciples would be encouraged as well. And the simple reading of the rest of Luke's gospel and the book of Acts will remind you and I both of how Peter did make his mistakes, right? And some would argue, well, Jesus did give him over to Satan to be sifted. I disagree with the, the statement because the statement is that he wanted to own him. And Satan does not own Peter because he trusted in Christ. If you've trusted in Christ, God owns you. You're his possession. You're his possession that he pours out his love on. I was talking about this passage with my kids the other night in, uh, in our living room, and um, there were a few different funny statements. Number one, I guess I say wheat, really funny. I guess I say wheat. I don't know what's so funny about it. I guess it's because the H comes after the W, and you're not supposed to say it that way. And I don't know why I say it that way. Um, I remember at one point, uh, one of the kids, I think it was Grace, asked if Peter was short. Um, simply because I made some connection to our oldest daughter, Aubrey. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember asking this question. I asked the kids, I said, if, if Satan came to our doorstep today and knocked on it, and you were all in the house, you're, you're my possession, you're my children, and Satan came to my door, our door. And I opened the door, and he's standing there like a little scary crybaby that he is, and demanded to have you guys. Joe, I demand to have your children tonight that I might sift their lives. I might destroy them and blow them away. Well, what do you think I would do? And my youngest daughter, Charity, you guys know, she's a bit of a bombshell. Her response is, her response is, <laughs> something... It was a quote from the end of a Scarface movie, which, so that you know, she's never seen the movie Scarface. <laughs> so that you know, we do not do that. Um, but because we're Italian and we have this Italian accent thing going on and we joke about it all the time, uh, she's like, you would look at him and you would say, no, I'm going to piss on the ashes of your house. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, so what, what do you think Jesus would say? No, I'm going to stop, stop right there. Jesus was Jewish, not Italian. <laughs> and human analogies break down sometimes because God doesn't always do what you and I do, and we're imperfect, and He's perfect, and we fail, and God can never fail. It's the one thing God cannot do is fail. <laughs> Try that one on for size for a minute. Charity, Charity actually brought that to our attention um, this last week as well. Um, little theologian growing at home. Um, but human analogies can break down sometimes, but the reality is that I, I do think this is the way God is. If you've trusted in Him, if you trust in Him, you belong to Him, and He is not going to let Satan do something in your life to the extent by which your faith will completely fail. Peter's faith did not fail. He slipped up. We know further down, he does deny Christ three times. Eric's going to preach about that here in a couple weeks. And yet, he turned back around. And that's the language that Jesus used. I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail to the point of destruction, to the point that your life is blown away. Praying for you for that. That's where Jesus is at. That's the hope that we have. 
This is, this is the reassurance that you and I have in Christ and that Jesus sees everything that is headed our way and He knows everything that will ever happen in our lives. And as we travel down those dangerous roads, Jesus is our hope. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who wrote it and He's the one who continues to cultivate it inside of you. Your faith will not fail if you belong to Him. For those of you that are here that do not belong to him it's a different story because in these moments what you're being called to is to trust in Christ to trust that he can cultivate those things inside of you it is Christ and Christ alone and we saying this today in worship is Christ and Christ alone that we find our true and only hope your strength will not keep you from failing your knowledge will not keep you from failing. Your accomplishments will not keep you from failing. Only Jesus interceding at the intersection of satanic attack and failing faith will keep your faith from failing. <clears throat> now here's a problem for us that I want you to think about. <clears throat> Don't we often just do exactly the opposite? When satanic attack comes, when you are in danger of your faith failing, don't you often turn back to just trusting in your own strength? Trusting in your own patterns to get what you want? This is the dangerous road of ignorant pride. Road number three. So easy for us to fall into the false belief that we got this all handled, right? I mean, come on. We've got to be tough. And even in the times when we can be like, man, I just struggle in this sin, but I got it, man. Right? But I've been struggling so much in this thing, and I know Satan's been after me, and life's been tough, but I got this. I'm, I'm going to make it. We get conditioned to say this, and what we're really saying is, I got this. It's easy for us to believe that what Jesus warns about in Scripture will never happen to us. So easy to believe that we know more than Jesus knows. You may not want to admit that, but it's true. We all do that. I call this ignorant pride. This is exactly the road that Peter turns on to next, after Jesus has warned him. Think about this. Jesus is standing right in front of him and he's saying, Hey, Peter... Satan has come and asked to own you, and I have prayed for you, so be reassured, but be warned of what's coming down the road. And Peter's like, no, man, I got this. I'm good. I'm okay. I mean, you just, like, like blinders over Peter's eyes, right? Like earplugs in his ears. Like he hasn't heard a word Jesus saying. I think part of it's because Peter probably talked too much. And slow down and stop long enough to hear the words of Christ, right? He wasn't gaining his assurance in what Christ said Christ was doing for him. He was gaining his assurance in the fact that he was the rock, right? He was tough enough to make it through this. Luke tells us, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Talk about ignorant pride, right, Peter? The king of the universe 
who is about to give his life freely to save Peter from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, has just warned Peter face to face, not in the words of a book, not from the mouth of a preacher, but face to face. Hey, Peter, snap out of it. Something bad's about to happen. I'm praying for you, though, bro. Right? <laughs> Peter's like, Man, don't worry, Jesus. I got this. Don't worry about me. Here's the deal. Ignorant pride. Ignorant pride will always leave you broken down on the side of the road. I'm kind of a stubborn, ignorant, proud kind of a guy. Oftentimes, people have warned me about things and I've just continued full steam ahead, right off the edge of a cliff. Somebody once said to me, hey man, you, the engine in your truck is making some funny noises. Yeah, I'd be fine. Where do you think I was later that week? Broke down on the side of the road. This happens for us when we ignorantly and pridefully begin to think that the warnings that Jesus have, has given us and the assurance that he has expressed to us is not good enough for us and that we got this. That's the soul revealing thing about this story is that Jesus knows exactly where you and I are on this dangerous road. The question for us is like this, like, do you think you're a-okay? You stand back and think that you could never commit a sin like Peter? Maybe someone across the room right now? Do you hear the warnings of Scripture in regards to sin and just effectively like, plug your ears thinking that you're going to get through it just fine? You find shrewd ways of just dismissing your sin or downplaying your sin or blaming your sin or explaining your sin away on somebody else. And the dangerous road of ignorant pride will leave you broken down on the side of the road. And I, my prayer is that you would not stay there and that your faith would not fail. My prayer is that you would not stay on that muddy road just spinning your tires. It's hard to engage the mission of God if you're broken down on the side of the road. Like if your car breaks down on the side of the road, it's hard to get anywhere, isn't it? Right? We've all had our uh, probably uh, difficulties with vehicles running. But when they break down the side of the road, you cannot engage the mission for which you woke up and get got on that morning, right? Your mission was to get to work on time. And when your car breaks down the side of the road, what happens to the mission that you were on? It's hard to engage the mission of God when you're broke down on the side of the road. Well, one major aspect of following Jesus is engaging God's mission. That's, that's uh, road number four. One major aspect of following Jesus is being engaged in the mission of God. And being engaged in the mission of God um, kind of brings attention between two ends of a pendulum swing. I love to talk in tension and pendulum swings. Uh, being engaged in God's mission um, brings this tension between being a, uh, a consumer and a contributor. We are at the same time consumers and contributors. We are in need of God and His saving work in our lives, His changing work in our lives. And so that makes us, that makes us uh, consumers. We consume God like a product that we get from Walmart. And because we have Walmart and because of the American culture that we are, 
we have a tendency to stay in the consumer basket really easy. It's the contributor side that is really hard to move all of us towards, right? We, we want to contribute, we want to be a part, and there's a tension there. It's the tension of being someone who is needy and being someone who has something to give. This is the tension of missional engagement. When you're engaged in God's mission, you not only receive something from God, but you also have something to give away. God not only chose you as a target for His saving love, but He also chose you as a partner in His grand scheme of drawing other sinners to Himself through the message of the gospel, through the proclamation of the gospel in word and in deed. We are in one very real sense consumers and in another very real sense called to be contributors, both and, not opposed to each other, not one or the other, both and together in balance. And Jesus describes this dangerous road of missional engagement this way. He says, hey, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? Your consumers, did you lack anything you needed to consume? What did they say? They said, nope. ah, nothing. We didn't, we didn't lack anything. As consumers, as needy people, we had everything we needed the last time you sent us out on a missionary journey. So he said to them, now, now, let one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. What Jesus is doing here is he's drawing his disciples' attention to this earlier time when he sent them out two by two with only the clothes on their backs to preach the gospel, while at the same time depending on their Father in heaven to provide for their every need. Typically, we do that through the people that they ministered to. And now, Jesus is saying that he's getting ready to send them out again. But this time, it will be different. They will need to fend for themselves. They will face life-threatening circumstances. They will constantly be on the run from people who are hostile to the gospel. They will need to be prepared because the road ahead is going to be dangerous. And we now know that every disciple in the scriptures that we have read about died horribly. Following Christ is a dangerous road. It's not a road of safety. It's a road towards safety. Peter, even, who earlier promised to die with Jesus and to go to jail with him, does end up dying crucified upside down. Where are you at on this dangerous road of missional engagement? Think about that as a consumer, and as someone who's called to be a contributor. As you engage your co-workers right here in the city, in the community, are you preparing your heart to share the gospel with them? What about the hostile family member? Or the longtime friend who is falling into sin again? Are you prepared to engage that, or are you ignoring it? Are you prepared to share your story of how Jesus has saved you with others around you? Or are you stuck on the side of the road, too consumed with you and your own needs as a consumer, are you too afraid to share the gospel with other people around you? On the road of missional engagement is dangerous and it's full of potholes. But if you cling to the gospel, if you cling to the cross of Christ, if you cling to Christ Himself, then it's as though you will travel down these roads in an armored tank rather than a broken down car. 
It's road number five, the road of gospel truth. All throughout Luke's gospel, we've uh, been confronted with the truth that a lot of people who should have known the truth were absolutely deceived. And the religious guys that should have been the heroes in the story wound up being Jesus' worst enemies. The guys that were closest to him, his disciples, struggled to grasp the endearing truth of the gospel. The road of gospel truth is dangerous. And it's dangerous because, uh, because it's full of potholes that can cause us to miss the point entirely. Don't miss the point that I don't want you to miss the point entirely. Don't miss the point that the disciples in this passage missed the point entirely. Jesus says, I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That's the passage that must be fulfilled. He was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus then says, for what is written about me. Now he's saying, hey, that old prophetic statement that was made way back when, that was written about me, and I'll be the one who fulfills it. It's a pretty bold statement in reality. What is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. They missed the point. You know what he said? That's enough. I've had enough. I'm out of here. That's what he said. <laughs> when Jesus says it is enough in this passage, he's not saying those two swords are enough. It doesn't line up with Scripture, period. Jesus, what he's doing in this passage is explaining the truth of the gospel to his disciples to help them to see what is coming ahead of them on the various roads of following him. And they miss the point entirely. Jesus is concerned with explaining that he is about to go to the cross on their behalf. He's concerned with explaining that he will be numbered among the criminals, even though he's innocent. He's concerned with explaining that all of biblical prophecy in regards to the Messiah will be fulfilled in him. But the disciples miss it. Based on one word, basically. Four. Go by a sword. It's like little boys, right? I mean, if I tell my son, I'm going to buy you a sword, what do you think he's going to be all about for the next five days? Dad's going to get me a sword. Ugh! Right? It's a bunch of little boys in this passage. Totally miss the point. I know all the ladies in the room, you're all sitting there like, yeah, I get it. You guys are boneheads. <laughs> right? <laughs> all the disciples could hear Jesus say is, go buy a sword. Today it would be like, go buy a Beretta. Go buy a Smith & Wesson. <gasps> you missed the point! Right? That's, that's what Jesus... I'm done! It, it's enough. I've had enough. That's, that's Jesus' response. <laughs> What Jesus does is he lays out the danger of following him on this life-giving mission to the cross. And he tells them to go buy swords. Not, not so that they would literally go buy some swords. Okay? If you, if you do a study of Scripture, you'll, you'll, you'll find, you'll find, that he's not speaking literally here. Not so that they would go buy some swords, but so they could simply see the life-threatening danger that lie ahead of them down the road, and so that they could prepare themselves to preach the message of the gospel in a hostile culture. He wasn't saying, go get some swords, arm yourself to the teeth so you can blow all the bad guys away. That, that was not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. And if you need further proof, in 
context, just look a little bit further on when they're in the garden. You can see his disciples took it literally. Peter, being the bonehead that he is, what does he do? Whoosh, pulls out his sword and whoosh, chops off a guard's ear. What does Jesus do? Good job, Pete. Good job. Put, hide your sword, man. Get that thing concealed before the, before the bad guys come and see it. No. Not the story. Not what happens. That's how we reinterpret it. So what happens? What Jesus? Jesus picks up the bloody ear, puts it back on the dude's head, and heals his enemy who's about to arrest him. This is powerful for us. It's confrontational for us, too. Really easy to misapply this passage and miss the point entirely. Where are you at on this road? And this point that the disciples miss this truth applies to each of us. Came across this statement. The only bloodshed that has its place in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the blood that was shed by Christ at the cross and the blood that was shed by those who have been martyred for their belief in Christ. It's the only bloodshed that has a place in the message of the gospel. Anything outside of that is a false gospel. See how easy it is to miss the point of the gospel? See how easy it is to Take a passage and take a few words that Jesus said, three of them, four of them to be exact, and then totally blow out of proportion and miss the cross of Christ in the midst of it. And the road of gospel truth is a dangerous road to travel because we run the risk of missing the point entirely when the point of the message was Christ all along. Have you heard the message of the gospel? Let me just ask you that. Now, let me just stop for a minute. As some of you know, I have handguns at home in my um, bedroom on my shelf next to my bed. I have that freedom here in America, right? If they were to take that freedom away, calling of a disciple is to submit and surrender to those who are in authority above him. That's, that's the calling of a disciple. So if we ever reach that place, it'll be a sad day, right? So as I preach this passage, I realize it can strike a nerve. I just don't want us to miss the point of the gospel. And I don't think Jesus wants us to miss the point of it either. So let your ears be refreshed by the message of the gospel as our music team comes, because we need to be done. The message of the gospel is this. Ask yourselves these questions. Have you, have you heard that God created you to glorify Him? Think about that. Have you heard that God created you to glorify Him? Have you heard that because of our sin we are separated from God and that we have broken the image that God created us to be? We are like broken, shattered mirrors because of our sin. And that that sin separates us from God who loves us dearly. Have you heard that then Christ came because of our sin to die horribly at a cross for you? Have you heard that the tomb that he was buried in is now empty? It's still empty to this day. He is powerful over Satan, sin, and the grave. Have you heard that if you recognize these things and trust in Christ for forgiveness and new life, what you will get is a forgiven new life. You will be saved. If you trust in Christ, you will be saved from the penalty and the presence and the power of sin. Don't, don't miss that message. That's the most important message of the Scriptures. It's the reason that we gather. 
It's the reason that we take communion here in a few minutes to celebrate and to remember and to rehearse the gospel. Where are you at on that road of gospel truth? Have you received Christ yet? And are you continuously applying the gospel to your life? My prayer throughout this message has been that you um, and I um, would all not only just see the, the forewarnings of God in Scripture, in this text, but also that we would receive the, the assurance, the reassurance that we all need. The reassurance that all of us have in Christ.